do things a little bit differently today. I'm going to go into our scripture reading in just a moment, but it's going to be a part of the preaching of the Word of God. So I'd like you to bow with me now in a word of prayer as we pray this week for our service and pray for our church, for our city, for our state, for our country, for the world that we live in. Let's take a moment to bow in prayer. After prayer, we're going to get started in the preaching of God's Word. And then after the message today, we'll have special music again to end our service. Please bow with me in a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for your goodness, your grace to us. We see it and we experience it in everything that we go through. What a comfort it is to know that we are yours. We belong to you. And everything that's a part of our life, you orchestrate and you are with us. You said you would never leave us nor forsake us. That is a promise that we have from you. Those who know you, who are related to you, those who have been born again. We thank you for the life that only you can give. And that's given through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. So we can worship you today, Lord because of what you've done for us and because of who we are, we're connected with you by the blood of Jesus Christ. We pray, we cry out, Lord, for your people here. Your people here at Sweet Communion, we pray, Lord, you would bless your people so that whatever we go through, your testimony is spoken in our lives through our experience so others can see who you are, how magnificent, how glorious you are. We pray that you would be with those here who suffer from various illnesses and issues. We pray, Lord, that you would watch over them, allow them to uh, encourage them to put their trust on a daily basis in you. Walk with them, Lord, and show them your presence and your grace. So we pray for this church, Lord. We're concerned that during this time, it is easy for people to get away from worship and coming to you as they should. It's not enough to just worship in our homes. You've commanded us to come together. So we pray, Lord, that your people will look forward to that and the very next time that they can, that they will come together and fellowship again and worship you together in this place. We pray, Lord, for our city, for our leaders, and for what's going on, Lord, that you would uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, we might be able to live a peaceable life. It's our goal, Lord, to give glory to you. And so we pray, Lord, that you would allow our officials, both in the city, the state, and this nation, to uh, allow us to do that. And if they desire and, and then they refuse to do that, that we'd be faithful enough, Lord, to trust you and to serve you no matter what. So we pray these things now. Bless our service. Bless the preaching of your word. Open our eyes to the teaching of your word so that we would know how to rightly apply it in our lives so that our lives bring glory to you, that we persevere through our trials and our struggles and bring you glory in how we live our lives. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue our series in Job again today 
and we find ourselves in that section of round three as Job interacts with his friends, and he's interacting today with friend number two. This is the end of round three. He's interacting with Bildad, and this is his second friend that's in the order of friends. And so we'll be looking today at Job chapter 25 through 31, and that's a lot there, and I want to encourage you to, to keep up and follow along with me as we go through this. So I'm going to uh, um, um, stagger the reading of those chapters with uh, the message today so that we get a, uh, a sense right behind our reading of, of what the challenge and what the Word is saying to us. Uh, the outline in this section is, is very simple and very clear. Uh, Bildad re, uh, responds or asks Job or challenges Job uh, as he's done before uh, in just in chapter 25. And then Job responds in chapters 26, 27, 28, uh, 29, 30, and 31. And so we'll see uh, Job's response that way. Okay, so let's take a look at chapter 25. Um, Bildad's charge is in verse 4. How then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman uh, be pure? So Bildad's charge is a direct charge um, that mankind in general cannot uh, um, make the assertion that they are in the right before God. And Job will be included in, in that mix. Um, it's interesting that Bildad makes this claim because I think this is an accurate claim. You notice that some of the friends have made statements about Job. They have included him in the category of wrongdoers. And I've stated last week that sometimes when we miss the charge uh, or, or when we overreach in charges against others, uh, uh, we, we do them no service. In fact, they began to get bolder in their claim of, of not doing wrong. But here, Bildad makes a particularly um, honest charge, and that is mankind as a whole cannot go before God and claim to be right, and Job would be included uh, in that group. And so here we see, as I mentioned last week, a subtle shift in our focus the study of Job now brings us to focus a little bit about what's going on in the heart of Job. And we can apply that to, to our own lives in this way. When we suffer, what's going on in our attitude as we suffer? Um, Job's attitude is to, um, to bring uh, um, acquittal to himself, to claim that he has done no wrong. He begins to focus on that to, I think, to a, 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 a wrong and a dangerous extent. We need to be careful that when, we're going, when we are suffering and going through some things that God is causing us to go through, that we maintain a right spirit and a right attitude as we go through those. We don't understand why we go through what we do. We don't understand all that we're going through. Job is under attack from his friends saying, Job, the reason you're going through this is because of your personal sin. Job has answered correctly, no, it's not because of my personal sin. 
But again, as I mentioned last week, he's gone too far in saying that he is fully justified before God. Who can stand before God and be fully justified in his own character, in his own behavior, in his own action? And that's the charge that Bildad is stating. Again, verse 4, who then or how then can man be in the right before God? Let's look at Job's response. A couple different things are happening in each of the chapters, and so I want to take them separately. In, in chapter 26, Job starts with a very strong sarcasm towards his friend. Let me read that, verses 1 through 4. Then Job answered and said, How you have helped him who has no power. How you have saved the arm that is no strength. How you have counseled him who has no wisdom and plentifully declared sound knowledge. With whose help have you uttered words and whose breath has come out from you? We see, we hear his sarcasm. He is mentioning that his friends have not been a help, have not been a comfort to him at all. And he shares that in this sarcasm. In the next couple of verses, he does shift and he speaks of God's unmatched power and majesty. And it's interesting for Job to bring that out because it seems that the friends have stated that before, but now Job states that. And he, in essence, is saying, I, I have a sense for God's majesty and God's power. I'm not ignorant or blind to those things. I see that. And so he begins to state that. Look what he says, verse 5. The dead tremble under the waters in their inhabitants. Sheol is naked before God, and Abaddon has no covering. He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not split open under them. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads over over it his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power he stilled the sea. By his understanding he shattered Rahab. By his wind the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small the whisper do we hear of him but the thunder of his power, who can understand? So Job is saying he understands or has a sense for God's majesty and God's power. There in verse, 20, in verse 12, he mentions, uh, by his understanding, he shattered Rahab. Rahab, the word actually means uh, uh, um, uh, the arrogant one. And so he says God humbles in his majesty. He humbles all those lifted up in pride and those who are arrogant. It's interesting that Rahab's name would mean that, and, and yet we see uh, her actions. She was actually humbled by God's power and God's majesty. So we see Job's response. But Job continues in chapter 27, and he changes, he shifts his argument. In chapter 27, he holds fast to his integrity. Look at verses 1 through 6. And Job again took up his discourse and said, as God lives, who has taken away my right, and the Almighty who has made my soul bitter, as long as my breath is in me and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak falsehood and my tongue will not utter deceit. Far be it from me to, stay, to say that you are right 
Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. I hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days. Okay, you can see Job making a strong statement, uh, holding fast to his integrity. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of uh, uh, teetering on, on the issue of Job and his integrity. Uh, his integrity. We can see that Job is certainly a godly and a righteous man. At the beginning of this whole story, God maintains that Job is blameless, that he's righteous, that he's an upstanding one. He fears God. And so that's a statement, a very strong statement um, about Job. Um, there's another passage um, in, in the Bible, if I can find it, I think it's Ezekiel chapter 14. Can we turn there? Ezekiel 14 has a strong and interesting statement. God is announcing his judgment on, on those who have opposed him. And I want to start at Ezekiel 14, verse 12. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly, and I stretch out my hand against it and break its supply of bread and send famine upon it and cut off from it man and beast, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord God. Verse 15, If I cause wild beasts to pass through the land and they ravage it, and it be made desolate so that no one may pass through because of the beast, even if these three men were in it, as I live, declares the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters. They alone would be delivered, but the land would be desolate. Or if I bring a sword upon the land and, let, and say, let a sword pass through the land, and I cut off from it man and beast, though these three men were in it, as I live, declares the Lord, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they alone would be delivered. Or if I send a pestilence into that land and pour out my wrath upon it with blood to cut off from it man and beast, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, declares the Lord God, they would deliver neither son nor daughter. They would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness. Now, it says that these three men were special. <laughs> and Job is included in that group. That if God was going to bring judgment and these three men lived, lived in the city, that they would be spared, but the rest would perish. And so it, 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 it reminds you of a couple of different scenes, doesn't it? Doesn't it remind you of Noah? who was spared and God spared him. It says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But well, we saw Noah, and even after the flood, we see his sinful nature as well. So God is not declaring that these men are sinless, but they have outstanding character. But he says their outstanding character could not redeem that city. It would perhaps clear them, but not redeem them from all of God's judgment. And so we could say Job is a, is a special man, a one of character, but even his character could not bring, could not withhold God's judgment from a land. And that's the difference. We see Job 
in, in, in a way like Jesus, don't we? But oh, what a difference. What a glorious difference it is. Jesus is the one by his righteousness redeems us from sin. All who trust in him. And there is a great difference. So Job's character is notable. But it's not going to bring redemption. In fact, in this same uh, book in Job chapter 40, we referred to this last week, so let me just read a verse if I can. Job 40 verse 10. God is addressing Job and he, he, he says, Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. He, he's saying to Job, if you're that great, do what I do. Do what only I can do. Verse 11, pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who's proud and abase him. Can you do that, Job? No. Verse 12, look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Job, you don't have the power or the righteousness to save yourself. God is speaking directly to Job in that statement. So we can see that God respected Job's character, but be careful. Job should not go too far in asserting that his character will win him justification before God because it certainly would not. I'm struck with that statement. Because the Bible points out these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, is righteous. And if God judged each one of them, that they could not bring justification for themselves, I stand no chance. What about you? So as we look at Job, he begins to assert his own integrity. Back to chapter 27. He challenges those who oppress him as the wicked who oppress him. Verses 7 through 12. Let my enemy be as the wicked, and let him who rises up against me be as the unrighteous. Verses 13 through 23. He condemns his oppressors. Look what he says. This is the portion, verse 13. This is the portion of a wicked man with God and the heritage that oppressors receive from the Almighty. If his children are multiplied, it is for the sword, and his descendants have not enough bread. Those who who survive him, the pestilence buries, and his widows do not weep. He goes on and on saying those who are the wicked who would oppress are going to find God's judgment. They try to escape it in one way, they'll find it. In another way, and so Job is is um, condemning the oppressors and his oppressors. Chapter twenty-eight, Job reflects on God's wisdom. He's saying this that man's search for wisdom is an unsuccessful search. It's interesting. We live in the day of, uh, in, in, in the time of information, don't we? I can pick up my, my phone and I can get almost any statistic or fact that I'd like to know in a matter of seconds now. 
We can find anything almost on the Internet. So we have information available to us. But as Job speaks, and it's so true, that man has not gained wisdom or insight or even perspective in all of his knowledge. He has not gained wisdom. And so Job speaks about the wisdom of man, and, and he starts off in, verse, in chapter 28. He, he says it's like the search for precious stones, gold, or silver, or precious metals like iron. We dig in the earth to find it. And he goes through, you can see that Job understands a little bit about mining, in the mining world of how we dig and, and uh, use explosives to, to break into mountains or the sides of mountains or rocks. And we go and we mine these things. In other words, we, take, we, we do a lot of work to dig it out and to uncover it and to get it. And he's liking that to wisdom. So we see that in verses 1 through 11. I won't read all of those. Uh, let's start at verse 12, though. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. And the sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, and, and nor can it be exchanged for jewels or fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come, and where is the place of understanding? He goes on to say, wisdom comes from God. Wisdom comes from God. Verse 21, it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we've heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it. And he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the, of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and stretched it out. He said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So Job is declaring that he understands how rare true wisdom is, and he understands that wisdom comes from God. That's why the book of Job is, is in that category of the wisdom literature. We would gain and glean a lot from understanding um, this book. In chapter 29, <clears throat> Chapters 29 and 30 are like two slices of bread. They sandwich Job's expression. In chapter 29, uh, he does a lot of uh, what I find myself doing as, as, as I get older. The older guys reminisce. We talk about the good old days, back when. And, and a key verse is, is really given in, in uh, chapter 29. Um, Verse 4, 
<laughs> Let me read verses 1 through 4. Job again took up his discourse and said, Oh, that I were as in the months of old, as in the days when God's, God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and by his light I walked through darkness as I was in my prime, <laughs> when the friendship of God was upon my tent. So Job is recalling how, how good things used to be when he was in his prime. And you'll read through there, you'll see uh, not just a physical prime, but he was in his prime mentally. He was sharp. He was a leader. He was respected by all everywhere. So I want to read through that. You get a glimpse of Job uh, and his position in, in his society. Verse 5, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were all around me, when my steps were washed with butter and the rock poured out front for me streams of oil, when I went out to the gate of the city, when I prepared my seat in the square, the young men saw me and withdrew, and the age rose and stood. <laughs> the princes refrained from talking and laid their hand on their mouth. The voice of the nobles was hushed, and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard, it called me blessed, and when the eye saw, it approved. You, so you can see Job standing. He says, I, I was one, I was, I was a standout. <laughs> Everybody respected me. Everybody noticed me. They listened to what I had to say. They looked at me, and they they uh, exalted, they adored me, he says. He continues, uh, verse um, 12, because I delivered the poor who cried for help, the fatherless who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. <laughs> you know, Job reminds me of, of two pictures I get. One is the, the picture kind of, a, of like the, the movie The Godfather, when you have this this, this head person who's in charge of, of a dominion, and everybody comes, and, and they basically, they bow down before him before they ask to do anything. The other picture I get is a picture of, of, of the pope, the Catholic uh, pope, where, where those who come, you know, kiss his ring and, 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 and show him the utmost uh, uh, reverence. And, and it's kind of a picture that Job has uh, he has the utmost respect because of his standing, because of his power, because of his riches, because of his wisdom, all of that we see uh, Job had. All right, let's continue. Verse 14, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy and I stretched out the cause of him who... who whom I did not know, I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. <laughs> then I thought I should die in my nest, and I shall multiply my days at the sand. My roots spread out to the waters with the dew all night on my branches. My glory fresh with me and my bow ever new in my hand. Men listened to me and waited and kept silence for my counsel. After I spoke, they did not speak again, and my word dropped upon them. <laughs> and that's how I dropped wisdom on them. They waited to hear what I had to say, and after I had to say what I had to say, there was nothing left to be said. That's, that's basically what he's saying. <laughs> 
23, they waited for me as for the rain, and they opened their mouths as for the spring rain. I smiled on them when they had no confidence. In the light of my face, they did not cast down. I chose their way and sat as chief, and I lived like a king among his, among his troops, like one who comforts mourners. Wow, I asked the question, who would say that about themselves? <laughs> Well, you have to understand, Job has been under extreme attack by his friends, and he is fighting that attack, and perhaps he's gone too far. In fact, I think he has gone too far. But he is, he is challenging the attack of his friends and saying, no, 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 Job, you, you're not that. You're nothing. And in fact, you're a wicked sinner, and God is judging you for your sin. And Job says, no, 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 you, you, you don't see me as I see myself. How do you see yourself? <laughs> Is it an accurate statement? Especially when you're under attack by others. Do you, do you tend to uh, exalt yourself and put yourself out? You, you almost have that feeling, where, hey, nobody else is going to say it. I got to stand up for myself. And that's kind of where Job is. But notice the difference between Jesus. They ridiculed him on the cross. They said, if you are who you say you are, you can call legions of angels and they'll come down. And he could have, but he didn't. In fact, he didn't even answer them a word. He knew who he was. And he was secure in his father, even in his suffering. And so we see that. Now, chapter 30 is kind of the opposite of chapter 29. So let's look at that. In chapter 30, that's 29 is how it used to be in the day. Chapter 30 is how it is right now with Job. So look at, look at chapter 30. He's no longer respected. But now is the key in this whole chapter. But now. But now they laugh at me. Job is going to state that men are laughing at him whose father's we're not his equal. That's a pretty strong statement. He's like, I remember when you was a little kid. Your father couldn't stand up to me. He's telling the truth. His men laugh at him who fathers, whose fathers were not his equal. So let's read that in verses 1 through um, on. Men who are younger than I, whose fathers I would have disdained to set with the dogs of my flock, what could I gain from the strength of their hands? Men's whose vigor is gone. Through one and hard hunger, they gnaw the dry ground by night in waste and desolation. They pick salt worth and the leaves of bushes and the roots of the broom tree for their food. They are driven out from human co company. They shout after them as after a thief. In gullies of the torrents, they must dwell in holes of the earth and of the rocks. Among the bushes, they bray under the nettles. They huddle together, a sen senseless and nameless brood. They've been whipped out of the land, and now I have become their song. I am a byword to them. They abhor me. They keep aloft from me. They do not hesitate to spit at the sight of me. And so he makes that charge. Now, verse 11, he understands this. It's God who has brought this on in his life. Because God has loosed my cord and humbled me. 
I wonder if he is humbled. He's been humbled in his position, but not quite in his thought. That's an interesting picture, snapshot of mankind. Our experiences and our circumstances can bring us low, but our heart can still be lifted up in pride. In fact, sometimes the more people try to push us down, the more we puff ourselves up and say, I'm better than you. We need to be aware of that human, sinful nature. Remember, Jesus didn't do that. He could have, but he didn't. So he continues. This is poetic expression, and, and uh, you might say we have some exaggeration because of that, but it gives us a flavor, doesn't it? It gives us a sense of what the heart is experiencing. And, and we can just say amen to a human experience that, that we identify with. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm humbled as, as, as I go out throughout my day, and I'm always amazed that, you know, if I dress in a shirt and a tie and a suit and walk in certain places, you're taken for granted. But if I take that off, and wear everyday clothes, I'm a different person and I'm treated differently. Have you ever experienced that? Ever seen that? And so Job now is treated differently. He's been stripped of all those things that people respected. And now it's just him. Now it's just him. Verse, uh, chapter 31, I'm going to go through now. And it's, there's a caption before that chapter. It says, Job's final appeal. Job appeals to his righteousness. And I want to read this chapter in its entirety. I want you to get a sense for how Job is making his statement. In essence, as if he's standing before God. And yet he's just standing before men, and he's making his assertion. Remember he says, no matter, I will do this till I die. I will stand on my integrity, is what he's stated. In chapter 31, let's just read through this, and then I'll make a few comments afterwards. I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze on a virgin? What would be my portion from God and my heritage from the Almighty on high? What he's saying is, I've guarded over my eyes for lust so that I don't lust towards women. Is not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for the workers of iniquity? That's an interesting statement in this whole chapter. He's saying, the things that happened to me, shouldn't they be happening to wicked, evil people? He's saying, that's not me. I don't deserve this. And he goes on to state his reasons why he doesn't deserve it. Watch, look along with me. Verse 4, does not he see my ways and number all my steps? Does God know what's going on? And here is the section I call, uh, I swear to God. Because <laughs> you know what I mean when I say that. This is that section. Job is saying, hey, I, I swear, this, 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 this isn't happening. Verse 5, if I walked with falsehood and my foot has hastened to deceit, 
Let me be weighed in a just balance and let God know my integrity. If my step has turned aside from my from the way, and my heart has gone after my eyes, and if any spot has struck to my hands, then let me sow and another eat, and let what grows from me be rooted out. He said, I swear to God, I ain't done nothing wrong, and if it is, I swear on my mother's grave. <laughs> you heard that statement before. He's saying, I'm standing on my righteousness, verse 4. Nine. If my heart has been enticed toward a woman and I've lain and waited at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind for another and let others bow down on her. For that would be a heinous crime that would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges. For that would be a fire that consumes as far as Abaddon and it would burn to the root all my increase. He said, if I've acted wrongly towards any women, any woman, then let my woman basically be, let my wife become a slave and let her belong to someone else. The first statement in verse 10 is let her grind for another, is grinding at the meal. So it, it, it has that context in it. And the next statement is the sexual context is basically saying let her be given to somebody else. That's a pretty strong statement. Verse 13, if I've rejected the cause of my manservant or my man made servant when they brought a complaint against me. What then shall I do when God rises up? When he makes inquiry, what shall I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? He's saying, I've done no wrong to those who work for me. I count myself as on the same level as them. Verse 16, if I have withheld anything that the poor desire, have caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or have eaten my morsel alone and the fatherless has not eaten of it, or from my youth the fatherless grew, for from my youth the fatherless grew up with me as with a father. And from my mother's womb I guided the widow. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or the needy without covering, if his body has not blessed me in if he was not warm with the fleece of my sheep. If I've raised up, if I've raised my hand against the fatherless because I saw my help in the gate, then let my shoulder blade fall from my shoulder and let my arm be broken from its socket. For I was in terror of calamity from God and I could not have faced his majesty. He's saying, I swear to God, I've done none of these things. Not a single hint of it anywhere in my life. Wow, that's a strong statement. Verse 24, if I've made gold my trust or called fine gold my confidence, if I've rejoiced because my wealth was abundant or because my hand had found much, if I've looked at the sun when it shone or the moon moving in splendor and my heart has been secretly enticed, and my mouth has kissed my hand, this also would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges, for I would have been false to God above. If I've rejoiced at the ruin of him who hated me or exalted when evil overtook him, I have not let my mouth sin by asking for his life or the cause. If men of my tent have not said, who is there that has not been filled with his meat? The sojourner has not lodged in the street. I've opened my doors to the traveler. If I have concealed my transgressions as others do by hiding my iniquity in my heart because I stood in great fear of the multitude and the contempt of families terrified me so that I kept silent, silence and did not go out of doors, 
Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here's my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. Surely I will carry it on my shoulder. I will bind it on me as a crown. I will give him an account of all my steps. Like the prince, I would approach him. If my land has cried out against me and his furrows have wept together, if I've eaten its yield without payment and made its owners breathe their last, let thorns grow instead of wheat and foul weeds instead of barley. The words of Job are ended. You get a sense there for Job. Job, remarkably, as I mentioned, I think his character is, is in a unique category, as, as few others can say. In fact, the, the Old Testament, uh, Ezekiel says, hey, there's Daniel, <laughs> there's Noah, and there's Job. He's put in that category. But I'm still amazed at the claims that he made. Job is saying, if you examine my whole life, every bit, every part of it, blow me down if anything is wrong there. Wow, what a statement. So I've got, I've got a new saying. <laughs> Are you like Job? <laughs> For people who claim to be right, who claim to be righteous, who claim no fault at all. Are you like Job? That's my new saying. You might hear me saying that in the future. Anybody who claims to, to do no wrong, I can hear parents saying that to their kids. Are you like Job? Mama, I didn't do, are you like Job? <laughs> as pure as pure can be. <laughs> That's Job's assessment. But let me say this. Job presses his righteousness too much. He wants everyone to see that he's done no wrong. He doesn't cry for mercy. He cries for a Maybe he doesn't think he needs mercy. Maybe he just thinks when the facts are brought out, he'll make his case. He'll stand just fine before God. This is all preparing us for the meeting with God and what God has to say. And we give we pay attention to that section when we get to it, when God addresses Job. I get real nervous when I read that. Are you like Job? <laughs> I'm no Job. What about you? Even if Job's claim was right, he doesn't stand a chance. And I'm nowhere near Job. How about you? Top three in all the world. <laughs> in all the Old Testament. Are you like Job? Really? Are you that good? Are you that righteous? Do you think you can stand before God and make your claim? And win your case? Are you like Job? He longs to be acquitted of any wrong. He wants to make his case before God. He desires to be justified. 
he overstates his claim. I can kind of picture a defense lawyer sitting down with Job before he goes into court and saying, Job, wait a minute. You got to understand, there's no jury here. This is that court case that the judge himself tries. You don't have a jury of your peers because based on what you say, you don't really have any peers. Why don't you reconsider, Job? I think we ought to take a settlement here <laughs> because you might be surprised of how this case turns out. Now, was Job a righteous man? Yes. A man of character, outstanding. But was Bill Dad right when he says, can any human being stand before God and be acquitted? Can any of us? And if that was the case, is there ever a need for a Savior? Now, most of us don't wrestle with that question in reality because we, we know we're no Job. But in all practical cases, in that corner of our mind, we kind of like, I, I'll give it a little glow. I've cleaned up things a little bit. Or even we're tempted to say, after I've been saved, I, I, I've been okay. I'm all right. I'm on straight and narrow. God begins to speak to Job. And when he begins to speak, when we get to that section, we'll make note of that. If God condemned Job, and yet he admires his character, what standing do we have? The good news is this. We have a perfect arbiter for us. Not one who's going to state our claims so greatly that we're going to look shining in a court, but one who steps in our place and says, no question, Your Honor, he or she is sinful, but I stand in their presence. I take their judgment, and they are therefore free. We have a Savior. Jesus says, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for those in need of salvation. Which one are you? And why do you worship today? Because you stand in your own righteousness or because you worship the one who stands in your place and who has redeemed you and you will for all of eternity Bring glory to the Lamb that was slain for your sin. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus. He is the one who suffered unjustly. So we thank you for this experience of Job and the things that we are to learn from it. We pray, Lord, that we honor you all the more. We don't understand all of your ways and we know you are sovereign we don't understand why you bring things into our life the way that you do 
but we just want to be faithful, persevere, trust you, and we do thank you for your grace and your mercy, the salvation that you've given to us through Jesus Christ, whose character will never be challenged or questioned. He is the lamb that was worthy to, to take the seal, to open the seal, to bring judgment to you and to take your judgment for those who trust in him. We thank you for that. Speak to the hearts of your people today. Draw people to yourself. Today, someone needs to trust in Christ and Christ alone. We pray that you would bring them to that prayer. They deny themselves and they exalt Jesus and Jesus only as a payment for their sin. The one who makes fellowship with you possible. So we pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As our special music comes, as they prepare themselves, I want to encourage you who hear God's word today to respond to God in a sense of humility. That you would worship him in spirit and in truth. Also invite you to share this message with others as we close our service today after the song. We will broadcast this so others can see it. You can share that and let others know that they can hear the, the teaching and the preaching of God's word. <laughs>